Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they're going, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 10. Before we read, let's have a word of prayer. God, as we open your word together as a body, as your family, we think about, as we are preparing for our missions conference, we think about our brothers and sisters all around the world who have already engaged in similar activities where they've come together and they've worshipped and they've studied your word and they've talked and learned together what it means to follow you. And we pray for them. We pray for us now as we do this task that you open our hearts, that we may hear what you have to say to us. We pray for our children as they are in children's church and children's choir, that they also may be hearing your word and singing the stories of our faith, that our lives may be changed and, and drawn closer to your son. pray this in your name. Amen. So in John chapter 10... We've been, we've been looking at this series, this study in Sunday school and in church, looking at who is Jesus. And in our Sunday school hour, if you haven't been able to join us for Sunday school, in our Sunday school hour, we've been talking about who do people see Jesus to be? And how do people perceive Jesus? And what are their interactions with him? What are their expectations of Jesus? And during our, our, morning worship time, we've been looking at who does Jesus say that he is, and we've been comparing these two ideas of who do people expect Jesus to be for them, and who does Jesus say that he is. And so, in John chapter 10, we have these, we actually have two of these I am statements that we've been looking at, and we're going to talk about one of them today, and then the other one we're going to hear about in a couple weeks but they kind, of, they kind of blend together, and you'll see that as we read. So we already read the, the first six verses today together as a congregation, but let's read those again. John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is saying, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. Today we want to talk about the, this phrase, I am the gate for the sheep. 
couple weeks we'll hear about the good shepherd. But you notice even as we're reading, if you go back and look at it, that Jesus is using this idea of the gate and the shepherd as, as who he is to identify himself, this imagery. He's using them kind of interchangeably. I want to show you a picture of a sheep pen. I can turn the lights off here. So this is a typical sheep pen that you would find out in, I don't know, I assume, I don't know where this picture was taken from. But you would have a, a, an enclosure. Sheep are not very um, smart. And so you don't need a whole lot to keep them in one place, right? And so they have this this wall that they've built. In some places, they have caves that accomplish the similar a similar task. But you have a really a fairly small opening here. And, and depending on where you go, you find different sizes of these openings. But you have one opening where they come in and out of. And sometimes today, in in a lot of places, I think in the United States, where people raise sheep. They have physical gates. A lot of times, you wouldn't actually have a gate at all, but there would be a gatekeeper who would just sit here and guard the sheep and keep them in place. And sometimes that would be the shepherd, but the the story that Jesus is telling us here, a lot of times you would have uh, several flocks that gathered in that were kept in one place together. And so later, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and the sheep hear my voice... Often what would happen, and this still happens today, the shepherd would come amidst all of his sheep and he calls and he sings out for his sheep to come and the sheep that know the shepherd's voice would come and they would follow the shepherd and the ones that don't belong to that shepherd would stay behind until their shepherd would come and get them. But oftentimes what you would do as the gate for the sheep, sometimes the gate would just be a person and you would just sit and you would wait and when it was time for the sheep to come in and out, this is, this is how they would, they would come out. Sometimes this would be in a cave, and so you would put them all in the cave, and then the same idea is there would be one small opening that they would come out of. And this is the picture that, that Jesus presents us for who he is and what he, how he is relating to the people that he's calling. But particularly, I want to draw us to two big ideas today about what Jesus is saying here as the gate. So first of all, He is the gate. That seems pretty obvious, right? But this is important for us to recognize that he is the gate. No one else, nothing else is the gate by which the sheep come and enter into safe pasture. Jesus draws this metaphor, particularly we see in the context that he's talking to who? Pharisees, right? He's, he's challenging. And we see this in, in John a lot, this challenge between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we've been looking at this. It comes up again and again when Jesus is making these I am statements. It's often the Pharisees who are really a stand-in for the leadership of Israel who have a problem with the things that Jesus says he is and who he says that he is. And Jesus makes this statement really in, in direct confrontation to who the Pharisees claim to be and what the Pharisees are are saying about themselves. So if we just go back a few verses at the end of chapter 9, the, chapter 9 has a whole other context in which Jesus has healed a man who was born blind and there's all this controversy around what has happened and, and could Jesus have done this and, and who is Jesus? This question keeps coming up. 
But at the end of this conversation, Jesus has healed the man, and, and the man doesn't actually know who Jesus is because he was blind before he got healed. So he's never seen Jesus. And so at the end of this, there's, Jesus comes back and, and finds the man. Verse 35 of chapter 9 says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who, will, who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him, heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You see this bit of a controversy that's brewing here with these Pharisees. And and in typical John fashion, even as Jesus is clarifying an answer to the Pharisees, he's also confusing them more. This is, this is something that we have seen, especially in our Sunday school classes, we've looked at some of these stories, is, is as Jesus talks, we would expect him to give further understanding, but it seems like more people walk away more confused than, than understanding. But you see this controversy in which the Pharisees are questioning, they, they come from a place of, we certainly know what is right We certainly know how things are supposed to go. We certainly know what behavior is required to satisfy God. We clearly can see in the metaphor that they're using here. And Jesus confronts them and says, Well, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But because you claim you can see, because you claim that you have understanding of what God is doing, you're actually declaring yourselves guilty because you're missing what God is doing. And so he, he draws this contrast between the gate through which people come and those who come outside of the gate. So if we go back to our picture, those who come through the gate are the shepherds. Anyone that's coming to the flock, when we think about the flock as the people who are hearing the message that Jesus has to offer, or the people who are hearing the message that the Pharisees have to offer. And Jesus is saying, those who come through me, I am the gate. Anyone that's going along with what the Pharisees have to say, the Pharisees, he's saying, these are the thieves and the robbers. They're coming through a different way. And they're inviting the people to a different way other than God's way. He is the gate. As we think about this in our own lives, we think about the ways in which we are invited to find life. And there are all kinds of things and messages in our world that tell us this is what it means to find satisfaction. This is what it means to find life in our world. Jesus says at the end of this passage, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We have all sorts of guides in our lives that are trying to pull us in different directions towards what is right and where we find life. And Jesus says, I 
in the gate. And what this means is that when we come through Jesus, and I think this is in a room like this where I would say most of us have at one point put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can say, okay, good, we got the gate part figured out. But part of this, and we talked about this in our Sunday school classes, part of what it means to come to Jesus and to fall and to to work our way through the gate and to be his sheep is that we accept him on his terms, not our own. And we talked about this in Sunday, Jesus in, in Sunday school, that Jesus has just completed this miracle in John chapter six, in which these thousands of people are out and they're hungry. And, and he's given five loaves of bread and two fish, and he divides it all and he feeds all of the people. And there's this massive outcry of this miracle that has happened. And we're told at the end, at the end of the story in John chapter six, that the people were so amazed by the miracle that he had done, that they wanted to make him king by force. And this is not Jesus' plan. Is not Jesus' plan to become king in this way, and so he walks away from them. And I think, as we think about, we talked about this again in our class at least, the ways in which we want to fit Jesus into our lives, and we come to Jesus for what he has to give us, and what we get out of it, how it makes us feel better, or whatever it does for us, rather than what he has to offer as himself. And rather than looking for Jesus on his terms, we want Jesus to fit into our boxes. He is the gate. There's no other. And then secondly, he gives life to the full. He says this at the end. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Which raises a question, right? What does it mean to have life to the full? I think we could all come up, if we were to sit down and write down our own definitions of what a full life might look like, or your translation might say an abundant life, what that might look like, what, how we might plan it out if we were to say, okay, from the time of our birth until the time of our death, what would constitute a good, full, abundant life? I think all of us might come up with different priorities, different things that we would say, here's, what I would, here's how I would like my life to look. But when Jesus says this, when he says he's come to give us life to the full, he doesn't, he's not saying that he came to give us whatever we want. Right? How many of you agree with that? About half of you? Okay. That's okay. Maybe by the end we'll get to the other half too. He's not saying he's come, he came to give us whatever we want to make us happy. His goal is not to make us happy. And we know this. We've talked about, we talk about this a lot here that we don't teach at our church that if you serve God, you love God, you give enough to God, God is going to give back to you ten times and your life is going to be perfect and you're going to have all the, the things that you want in your life is going to be you're going to be healthy and wealthy if you just have enough faith in God he will provide all the, all that you need we don't teach that at our church 
But I think a lot of us still have a sense that if I am walking with the Lord, things should be going smoothly. And if things are not going smoothly, if I'm running into conflict, if, if, if life gets a little bumpy, it must mean that there's something wrong between me and my relationship with God. Or, to the extreme, it might be that God doesn't actually want what's best for me. Or won't give what's best for me. And when things get hard, we can begin to question and doubt and say, is this, is this really the life that God has promised? But the abundant life is not one that is free from pain or conflict. If it is, you take a look at all of Jesus' disciples, right? They did not have what we would call an abundant life by our world standards. Their life was not smooth and easy. We just looked at this passage last week, but I'm going to read it to you again from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Pastor Jim read this to us. Look at how the Apostle Paul, who has given his life to Christ, describes himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. As we talk about Jesus as the gate, Jesus as the way, and we'll talk more about this in, in a few weeks too, where Jesus specifically says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As we talk about this idea of Jesus being the gate by which we enter, and the way that we are to follow, and the, and the life that he invites us into, what Paul describes here in 2 Corinthians is what we should have in mind when we think of what is life to the full. What does this abundant life look like? It's not an easy life. It's not a pain-free life. It's not a suffering-free life. And I think most of us in this room know that from our experience. But look at how he describes this. He says, we are pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. He says, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That in our hardship, particularly for Paul and for us, as we serve the Lord, as we follow after Christ, as we're formed more into the image of Christ, there will be painful moments along the way but that Christ is faithful in those moments. 
And that what we actually find is that as we serve Him, as we give our lives to this gate, rather than any of the robbers and thieves that want to tell us, this is how life is meant to live. Follow after me. Come with me. As we give our lives to Him, even in our hardship, we'll find that we are not abandoned. Even in our struggles, we'll find that we're not destroyed. That in our suffering and our dying, we find the life of Christ more alive in us. We find an abundant life in our struggles. And I think these two, this is where these two ideas connect for us and for our challenge today. As a parent, uh, we want what's best for our kids, don't we? As we think about their lives and we think about what, as as I mentioned earlier, if you were to describe what an abundant life looks like, you, as, as a child, don't have much control over what your life looks like until you get a little bit older, until you gain a little bit of agency. But as parents, we are put in a unique position where we can give our children whatever kind of life is at least within our means, Right? And we have the ability to prioritize how they're going to spend their time and how they're going to, uh, how, what kind of books they're going to read and, and what kind of TV they're going to watch or they're not going to watch any TV or what kind of food they're going to eat. We are shaping this until they get old enough to say, I don't want to do that anymore, right? And I think that, and this to me is where this starts to hit home for, for us, all of us as Christians, not just parents. But to think about this idea is, as, as a parent, we want our kids to be happy. We want them to feel safe. We want to protect them from, from pain, right? From loneliness. We want them to have a sense of security. We want them to not make the same mistakes we did. And there are so many agendas in our world that say, this is what it takes to have, this is, this is what your kid needs to have. And when you're, when, when you're just having a baby and you're reading all the books and all the things on the internet, all these things are saying, this is, this is how you have to do it. If you don't do it this way, your kid's gonna, you know, your kid's gonna grow up and they're gonna have all these problems and so, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're feeding them these foods or you gotta make sure you're having them listen to Mozart before they're born. You know, all of these things that you're, you're being told, like, this is how your kid's gonna grow up and be smart and be a genius. And, right? How, parents, do you remember this experience? Yeah, right? And there's so much pressure, right? So many messages of the world saying, this is what needs to, and, and as adults, we hear those same messages, don't we? Those same instructions that say, if you don't make this decision, the world's going to fall apart. If you don't follow, if you don't pursue this kind of career, if you don't, if you don't get this kind of job, if you don't scale to the next level, if your kids aren't fully successful in this academic, whatever it is. We have all of these messages that are pulling us away and say, this is the priority. Pursue this at all costs. Because if you don't, your life will be incomplete. 
But he is the gate. He is the one we are to pursue. He is the one who gives life to the full. We have these messages of of freedom and ability and all of these things that we are invited to in our world to participate in. And, And Christ is saying, everything that is not me is a thief and a robber. That all of these means of life that we pursue, that we strive after, that we aim for, are here when Jesus says, the thieves, they come to steal and kill and destroy. And that our goal as parents is not to get our kids to be more like us or to be not like us, Our goal as parents isn't to provide them with safety and security and protection. Our goal as parents is to point them to Christ. To help them see Christ. And hopefully to help them see Christ in us. But primarily to point them back to who Christ is. And our goal as adults and whatever capacity of life that God has placed us in is to pursue Christ. To know Christ. And that as we pursue our work and our jobs and our careers and our families and all these other things, that we pursue them through the gate of Christ. We find them through Christ first. Not that Christ becomes another add-on that we do from time to time when it's convenient for us, but that all that we say, all that we do, we funnel it through the gate of Jesus Christ. That He is the gate. He is the one we are to pursue. We live in a world of freedom. right? At least here in America, we have quite a bit of freedom. When I was a kid, we would have someone would ask us to if you know for something, and if you're being really snarky, you'd say it's free country, right? How many of you ever said that as a kid, right? Essentially, say like do whatever you want, I don't care. And we have a sense in our in our country and in in the way that we as many of us have been raised that we have this limitless possibility in our world. We have this freedom. And that Christ has come, as Christians, Christ has come to give us this abundant life in which we pursue Him, and then we have this freedom. We have this freedom in Christ. to We're we're free from the effects of sin. We're free from the effects of the law. The things that the Pharisees were saying, here's what you have to do in order to be right with God. We are free from those things. But the invitation of the abundant life... Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. I think is up there. Is it? Ah, there it is. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You're called to an abundant life. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And as we think about the abundant life that God has called us to and invited us to, as we come through Christ, it can open us up to limitless possibilities to say, well, God has given, he's blessed me, he's, he's given me all that I have, and I have this freedom in him to do and be what I want to be. And to get whatever it is that I need to get to feel satisfied. Now that I have Jesus, now I can add on all the things that I want to be satisfied. But what this life looks like, what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, what he's talking about here in Galatians, is that what the abundant life looks like, what we do with this life that God has given us, is not to just sit back and say, okay, now I can do whatever makes me feel happy. But it's an invitation to serve one another. To serve with love. It's an invitation to take the privilege that we've been given as people who have come through Christ to now say, who are those who are outside? Who are those around me who are in need? And how may I serve them in love? How do I take the resources that God has blessed me with? That God gives not just so that I can be healthy and wealthy and feel good about myself, but how can I use the resources that God has given me to serve one another? How can I take the freedom that God has given me and to serve those around me? We don't come to Christ on His terms. We don't make him king so that he continues to feed us more and more and we can have what we want. The way in which Jesus became king, uh, and, and someone in our Sunday school class pointed this out t- today uh, that I thought was just brilliant insight. They try to make him king by force in John chapter 6 after he's fed them. But at the end of the story of John, they put a robe on him, they put a crown on his head, right? And they make him king. They make him king by force. But this was his plan. He did not want to be king the way that they wanted him to be king. He came to give life. And what his life looks like is sacrifice and it costs. And the life that he invites us to to serve this king is a life of sacrifice and cost. To follow him means not that we get what makes us feel good. There might be some of that. But that we will be crushed, but not in despair. Struck down, but not destroyed. It will be hard at times to serve the Lord. It will be hard at times to come through the gate. 
But he says here that you will come in and go out and find pasture. You will have rest even in the midst of the hardship. And you're invited as Christ came in freedom to serve us. We are invited with the freedom he has given us to serve and to give our lives for the sake of one another. This is the abundant life that he gives us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We are all people here because, not because we loved you, but because you loved us. We pray that if there's anyone here who has not put their faith in the work that you have done for all of us, we ask that you be working in their hearts today to move them to you. And we pray for all of us who can be so easily consumed with our own desires and our own agendas for an abundant life. We pray that we may come back to you, the gate, come through you into the life that you have for us. May we be a people, may we be a community who enters into our world in a place of love to serve those around us. May we think first of those who are not us. May we follow after you, our King, who gave his life for the world. Amen. The Lord knows you. The Lord knows what you need this week. And my prayer for us as a church is that that we may have the clarity to know him. This week, that we may have the clarity to recognize the gate through which we walk, that we may have the clarity to differentiate between the thieves and the robbers that are calling our names and trying to draw us after them, and the shepherd who calls our names. May we have the clarity to walk after him this week in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Wherever God may take us this week, may we serve one another humbly in love through hardship. May may we not hear and face the struggles and walk away from them, but may, may we engage the work that God is calling us to today, tomorrow, throughout this week as we serve him with love.